Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles open to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, the title of today's message is Grace, Grace, God's Grace. And while you're turning to that passage, I have to admit to you, last night, I had the dreaded preacher's nightmare. I got up in front of you and said, open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I tried to find it in my own Bible, and I couldn't find it. (laughs) So I just breathed a sigh of relief because I found it. (laughs) So we're in good shape. We're starting off in the right direction. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to actually read the whole chapter this morning. It's 13 verses. So follow along as I read 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 through 13. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, behold, I am your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of God's word. Grace, grace, God's grace. This passage of scripture is one of the clearest portraits of the amazing grace of God in all of the Bible. God uses these characters, King David and a crippled man by the name of Mephibosheth to be this living canvas upon which he paints an illustration of how God's grace works. In fact, what grace is really all about as David rescues this man from a hopeless situation and forever changes his life. Now, some have said that grace, this doctrine of grace, is one of the most important doctrines in all of the Bible. In fact, many have said we cannot understand who God is without understanding God's grace. Misunderstanding God's grace can lead to two fatal errors in the Christian life. The first error as it relates to grace has to do with what some have called antinomianism. It's this type of responding to God's grace in this matter. Well, I am already saved. I have already experienced God's grace. Therefore, I can go and live however I want to live. They have no regard for the commands of God. They have no regard for the law of God because as they say, they have experienced grace. To live in this way is to misunderstand the grace of God. But there is another side of the coin as it relates to this misunderstanding called legalism. And legalism refers to the type of thinking that says, as I obey God's commands, I fall more and more in favor with God. In other words, we earn God's favor by living and obeying his law. This misunderstanding of God's grace is also fatal to the Christian life. This idea of the doctrine of grace is so at the core of Christianity that we must get it right. In fact, here's the point of today's sermon. A deep understanding and a constant reflection on the doctrine of grace propels us into radical life-submitting and kingdom-building followers of Christ. In other words, all of our going and doing is connected to our knowing, our knowing of God and who he is. So God has preserved for us in his word this incredible account. 
Now, of course, to understand what's happening here, we have to know a little bit about the history of the nation of Israel. And so at this point in the history of the nation of Israel, we have seen the fall of King Saul. Remember, King Saul was the first king of the people of God, the nation of Israel. In fact, King Saul was actually the people's king. Remember, the people went to God and said, all of these nations around us have a king, but we don't have a king. They misunderstood that God was their king, right? They wanted an earthly king, so God gave them this earthly king, King Saul. And we see at the end of King Saul's reign and life in 1 Samuel that at some point it says the spirit of the Lord left Saul. And because of that, Saul's life and Saul's kingdom started to fall apart. And on the heels of that, then, a new king is searched out. And this one is found, this shepherd boy who would be the king, King David, comes on the scene. And what we see in this account is this back and forth revelation of who God really is. On one hand, God is a just, jealous God. He is jealous for his namesake, and he is taking vengeance on the evil doers. In fact, look in your Bible. Look back at the heading in chapter 8 of 2 Samuel. It says David's victories. At this point, God is using King David and the people of God to conquer in battle other armies, the pagan people, to show that only worship of the true God is good for the people. And God is a just God. So if you're not going to follow him and worship him, there will be justice. While simultaneously we have right here in the middle of these two chapters, chapter 8 and 10, this picture, this sweet picture of God's grace and mercy and love. Let's look at the passage. I want to show you three aspects of God's grace this morning. Three aspects of God's grace from 2 Samuel chapter 9. The first aspect is that God's grace reaches out. God's grace reaches out. Look in verses 1 through 4. David says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, Think about this for a moment. We have a king on a throne. And what do we know about a king who is on his throne? That person, that individual is self-sufficient. He has the power of the kingdom in his hands. In fact, David was this warrior king, as we've already mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 8. David is leading the nation of Israel to conquer. And then in chapter 10, we see that story continuing. They're going out and they're defeating these armies. His kingdom and his armies are defeating all of their enemies. 
But right here in the middle of those two chapters, David shows grace. David extends grace. He reaches out and it has been said of this passage that David understood that his graciousness was to be a derivative of the grace of God in his own life. Think about it. Had David experienced the grace of God in his life? Absolutely. What was a shepherd boy going to be? I'm I'm convinced that David never really got over those years that he was in the pasture tending the sheep. He remembered that point. He remembered those days when he was just a shepherd boy tending sheep and in God's grace and in God's favor, he had brought him now to this kingship to this position of king. David had experienced the unmerited favor of God. Why is this so amazing? Why is God's grace so amazing? Well, for one thing, because according to Romans chapter three, none of us are seeking after God. In our sin, in our depravity, In our wickedness, the Bible says in our sinful state, we are not seeking God. So the only hope that we have is for God to seek after us, for God to reach out to us, for God to extend his grace toward us. And that's exactly what we experience. No one seeks for God. But praise God, he's still in the business of seeking after sinners. This is the goodness of God's grace. But why does God do this? Why is God as infinitely more self-sufficient than an earthly king ever going to reach out to somebody else? Why did David at this point reach out to this crippled man? Because it was something within his character. It's something within the character of God to reach out. In fact, in this passage, if we were to go back and study 1 Samuel 18 and 20, David entered into a covenant promise with Jonathan and his family. At that time, King Saul is trying to kill King David. And if you remember the story, Jonathan, who is the prince, King Saul's son, is helping his friend to flee from his dad who is seeking to kill David. And so because of how Jonathan had helped David, David promised Jonathan I will look after your family. I will show kindness and grace to your family. So the reason that David reaches out is because it was within his character. In the same way, brothers and sisters, God does not look out to you and I and see something good within us that causes him to act. In fact, it's actually the opposite. God looks into the depths of our hearts 
and sees depravity and wickedness and wretchedness and still chooses to reach out to us in love and grace. What an incredible God. Grace that is so wonderful. David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan? For the sake of Jonathan. David was led to reach out because he remembered his promise to Jonathan. He remembered this covenant that he had made. And brothers and sisters, there has been a new covenant made where God has promised that all those who place their faith in in the, the person and work of Jesus Christ will be saved. In fact, it is a covenant of grace. It is a promise of grace that on display in this covenant of grace is Jesus Christ. Why does the Lord save us? Why does God reach out to us in grace, it's because he seeks to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. He seeks to put Jesus on display. But David was looking for anybody, any, anyone, not a somebody, not a person that has it all together, not a person who had something to offer to the king's services, But it says, is there anyone, even down in verse three, the king says, is there not someone of this house? This is the way God's grace is extended to sinners. It's extended without any type of qualification. David was not looking for people who met criteria. He wasn't looking for people who were great soldiers. He wasn't looking for someone who was a great intellectual. He wasn't looking for someone who possessed certain abilities or could be useful. He was looking for anybody. Brothers and sisters, no offense to you all, but what I see before me this morning is a bunch of nobodies. That's who we are. We don't come to the Lord because we have something to offer to him. We come to the Lord because it's within his character. It's within his person to reach out to nobodies and use them and love them within his kingdom. What an incredible God. What an incredible grace. So David summoned Ziba, this servant, who was caring for Saul's estate. And look what he says in verse three. The king says, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. In other words, what Ziba was saying to the king is, well, there's somebody, but he's not much of anybody. He's crippled. He's crippled. And what we see from 2 Samuel chapter 4, what happens is once King David is brought into power and is on the throne, typically what would happen in those days is when a new king took the throne, 
One of the first orders of business was for him to kill all of the former king's family to prevent some future insurrection from happening. So because of that, uh, Mephibosheth's family is taken up and flees. And during that experience, Mephibosheth's nurse drops him and breaks both of his legs. And in a, in a day of no orthopedic surgeons and those things, we're left with this boy now man who is crippled. So Ziba says, yeah, David, there's this guy, but he's a cripple. And not just that, look in verse four, the king says to him, where is he? And the response to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. A couple things to note here. Um, he doesn't have any family. He's living in someone else's house. Some son of Amiel named Makir. So he doesn't have a home of his own. He doesn't have family. And he's at Lodabar, which actually means no pasture. So most likely, here's where we find Mephibosheth. A cripple sleeping on somebody else's couch as a part of somebody else's family, afraid that the king is coming in the middle of the desert. Truly a hopeless and helpless situation for a man named Mephibosheth. But we know the rest of the story, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 27, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. God extends his grace to those of us who have been broken by sin, who have been torn by sin, regardless of their pasts, their race, their social standing, their perceived usefulness. This is what the grace of God does for us. But not only does God grace, God's grace reach out, God's grace embraces. God's grace embraces. Imagine this story from the perspective of Mephibosheth for a moment. You're in a desert. You're living in someone else's house and you're a cripple. You're at the mercy of other people because most likely you can't work for yourself. You're hiding from the new king on the throne. And at once the king's soldiers have discovered you. Mephibosheth keeps out the opening of the door and who's there? In all their regalia, it's the king's soldiers. Mephibosheth's life must have flashed before his eyes. In the pit of his stomach was likely this deep ache. I've been found out. He knew how it was going to end. The new king would certainly put him to death. He had been successful, a successful fugitive for a while, but the king had finally caught up to him. So the soldiers bring Mephibosheth into the king's presence and Mephibosheth with his anxiety and his nerves going crazy is awaiting for his death sentence. And then in the ultimate 
plot twist in the ultimate crazy term, turn of events. The king doesn't sentence him to death, but embraces him like a long lost friend. Look at it. Verse 5. Then King David brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, and I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. God's grace embraces in such a way that we no longer have to fear the wrath of God. Just as Mephibosheth must have been afraid of the wrath of the king that he deserved. And in that crazy turn of events, it was turned from him when the king said, do not fear, I will show you kindness. God's grace does the same for you and I. The one on the throne reigning in all power and glory and justice is intending and is certainly going to pour out his wrath on every unrepentant sinner. Let me repeat that phrase again so that we can get it. The one who is on the throne reigning in all power, glory, and justice is intending and certainly will pour out his just wrath on every unrepentant sinner. Brothers and sisters, do we see that? Do you, do I feel the weight and the gravity of this truth that this wrath of God in our sinful state is totally directed on our soul? But instead of receiving this, the wrath of God has been taken up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we have received the grace of God. What an incredible truth. Instead of being fearful, we can join with the psalmist in Psalm 27 to say, the Lord is not my judge. The Lord is not one to fear, but the Lord is my salvation. We can sing and we can say that grace is enough. We can confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We can sing of God's amazing grace. We can proclaim words of hymns like this. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. I have perfect peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Can you say that today? I mean, in your soul, in your spirit, can you honestly say, I can rest 
in the grace of God. The grace of God has reached out for me and has saved me and has brought me to this point. I can sing those words. Not only does God's grace embrace us so that we no longer fear his wrath, it actually produces this incredible humility within us. Look in verse 8. Mephibosheth's response, he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Wow. A dead dog. My daughter Nora is five years old. Uh, She's off on Fridays from school, so what she loves to do with dad my day, my family day from here at the church is Fridays. What we love to do together is go to the pet store. It's kind of like the redneck zoo. <laughs> it doesn't cost you anything. You can see some animals, snakes, ferrets. She gets a kick out of it. But one of the things I'm amazed by is the amount of money and time and energy people will spend on their pets, right? These dogs, certainly in the day of King David, dogs were not to be cuddled with. They were not to be allowed to sleep in our beds. They were not to be bought clothes for. They were not to be fed expensive, non-GMO, gluten-free, grain-free, no byproduct. $100 a bag, dog food. They were just dogs. I've had the opportunity to do some mission work over the years in Romania. They have these dogs we refer to as demon dogs. They live on the streets. They have sores all over their body. If they want to eat, they got to find something to eat, right? And so Mephibosheth at this point calls himself not only this type of a dog, but a dead dog. And of course, in the Jewish culture, anything dead was associated with uncleanliness. There were all these laws and rituals that they had to go through if they were to experience any type of death. So what Mephibosheth is saying to the king is, I am placing myself lowest of low, I recognize that this kindness and this grace that you're extending to me is absolutely not because of something I am. I am like a dead dog in your service. And the king responds, not only does he reach out, not only does he embrace, but thirdly, God's grace provides. Look at this as we close Verses 9 and 10. The king called Zebo, Saul's servant, said to him, All that belong to Saul, to all his house, I've given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. You see the blessing here? Not only the land, not only all of his 
family's land, but also the servants who would keep it. More importantly, he gets to share at the king's table. Verse 11, Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Get the picture. Here's the king's table. At one spot you have Absalom, David's son, perfect and handsome. There were others of David's sons. There were David's wives and daughters. There was Joab, the general, proud and strong. There were princes, soldiers, men of wealth, men of degree, men of power, all these people taking a seat around the table of the king. And wait a second, as the family gathers, there's the sound of a crippled man, maybe with his crutches, coming down the hall, taking a seat at the king's table with the rest. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a seat at the table of the king. We can be used by God to build his kingdom. We can be used by God to share the gospel. We can be used by God for incredible things for his service. Will we see the truth of God's grace? Will we understand what these things mean? A deep understanding and constant reflection of the doctrine of grace propels us into radical life submission and kingdom building followers of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. And Lord, we're grateful for your grace. Lord, the fact that you would look down at sinners like us and act and reach out and save us and bring us and embrace us and provide blessings is overwhelming for us even to consider, but it's true. This is who you are and this is what you have done through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so Lord, I would pray if there would be someone in this room this morning and maybe they've never understood the good news of Christ, that in their sin, they are a target of your wrath. They are a target of your judgment, and you certainly will judge unrepentant sinners if they've never understood who they are in their sin, but today they recognize that. And they recognize that salvation can come if they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, surrendering their life to Him. Lord, may today be the day of that person's salvation. And then for brothers and sisters uh, among us this morning, Lord, we have experienced Your grace. And Lord, for those who have been grace getters, we should be grace givers. We should be ones who extend grace to others. Lord, in our homes, help us not to think about 
ourselves. Help us not to treat one another as we deserve, but help us to treat one another in grace. Lord, in our community, where we're living in a day and an age where it's almost celebrated that you treat other people as they treat you with disgusting words, with harshness, with rudeness. Lord, may we repent of that. May we not treat those around us who even disagree with us like they deserve, but may we treat them with true honor and grace because that's the way you've been to us. That's the way you've treated us. Lord, help us to contemplate the truth, the doctrine of the grace of God in our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.